Let's go to <clears throat> let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come before you asking for the divine manifestation of your presence. We know that you're here. First of all, as being omnipresent, you're everywhere, always. Our blessed Lord said before he ascended back into glory, that lo, I am with you always. And he taught us while he was here on earth that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that you're in the midst. But we do not always experience that. And I don't know that we might be able to qualify what that is sometimes when at least we believe that we have in, entered into a fellowship with you in a greater way than normal. But we do know that we need you, Father. We need you physically. We need you emotionally. But more in particularly, we need you spiritually. We need you on every hand. Even as the song so aptly says, we need you every hour. Again, we would pray for revival. Pray for a sense of equity and right be the standard throughout the land. Pray for faithful men who stand to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And for those who need to repent, we pray for repenting grace and mercy. We pray that You be with those that are preparing to take the Gospel to other nations, not only in their preparation, but in their travels. And as they are there ministering to the saints, that you would watch over and keep them and protect them in every way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we're in 1 John chapter 2 still, mainly looking at these uh, passages, verses 12 through 14. 
where he talks about, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. And we pointed out that the little children in verse 12 is different from the little children in verse 13. And I won't go through all of these verses again, but uh, you can. But the little children in verse 12 is the word that is usually uh, and in every other place in First John, uh, as we pointed out last Lord's Day, uh, it is designating all of God's children. He's talking about all of God's children. Even the first verse of this uh, chapter, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But then in verse 13, where he says, I write unto you little children because you have known the Father, that's a different word that, and I believe he's talking about uh, children. Uh, In other words, it could be Children in age, as well as a babe in Christ, and we have uh, we preached a sermon on this: how that the little children, young men, and fathers can be, uh, though it might have to do with uh, age-wise. Uh, Physically, we believe that we can make an application on that with a babe in Christ or a young, uh, an individual kindly in their uh, middle growth in Christ and fathers as those that are aged in Christ. Because we know that sometimes a person may be very old physically, but still be a babe in Christ. And someone may be very young physically, but be mature in Christ. And so we're kindly uh, working that together. But we pointed out that the young babes in Christ whether they are an older person that is a babe in Christ, or whether they are a young person, a young child physically that comes to know the Lord, they know the Father. They know the Father. And the thing that we want to point out about 
the young ones is that though a, an individual may be young, and though they may not know uh, a great deal theologically, they still know the essence of the Father. They know the Father. The thief on the cross knew the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not know how long He hung on the cross before He confessed Christ. I'm made to believe from my studies that most of the three hours from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock uh, he was an unbeliever like the other thief. And just prior to the earth growing dark is when he confessed Christ. But that's just my uh, belief. You can take it and run with it or you can take it and run away from it. You know. But we know sometime he changed. And as much as he did know, he knew that Christ was a king. Because he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew that Christ was ruling over a realm. He knew that ruling over this realm and coming to the ultimate of his kingdom would be in the resurrection. Because they were on the cross. Now, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. He rebuked the other thief. He confessed his own sin. And there are many things that uh, recognize or show us that uh, give evidence of this thief uh, repenting and coming to faith in Christ. But I doubt that he could give any theological explanation of what it means to be justified by faith. You know, we have people today that they profess, someone may profess to be a believer. Well, what do you know about justification by faith? Well, nothing. <laughs> what do you know about uh, uh, the incarnation? Well, nothing. And they might ask several things that they can't answer. What do you know about inspiration of Scripture? In other words, if, if the Lord said, had said to the thief, well, what do you know about justification? The thief would have said nothing. What do you know about inspiration? What do you mean inspiration? What do you know about propitiation? Huh? <laughs> In other words, uh, there are some things that people may not know, but there are some basic things that they know God. And they know the Father. And they know that He is their Savior, if they have a Savior, and He is their authority. But we want to take up, when there's, you know, we can't say what all a person may or may not know. Uh, I did mention last Lord's Day, I believe, about, I remember seeing a couple of young ladies uh, around 
either four or five years of age, I believe, weeping uncontrollably for their sins, that made profession of faith that are still serving the Lord today. The sad thing is we see a lot of young people, maybe a little bit older than that, that make profession of faith that later go away. So you have all kinds. But anyway, the uh, those that are young in the faith, whether they are young uh, physically or whether they're just young spiritually in the faith, they need to have assurance that their sins are forgiven. They need to have assurance that their sins are forgiven. But today we want to take up with young men. Young men. I thought it was somewhat humorous at the meaning of this word for young men. It simply means a youth. And it is the description given of this word was also of someone under 40. That was a young man. You know, when Paul told Timothy that he was his son in the faith, and Timothy was a young man, Timothy probably was somewhere around 40 at that time. I can remember when my father was in his 40s, I thought, there's a man. And probably physically, uh, I was maybe at my strongest uh, physically during my 40s. But anyway, here we see that this is descriptive of someone that is younger and uh, as A.T. Robertson said, the younger element in contrast to the fathers, full of vigor and conflict and victory. Full of vigor, conflict, and victory. I'm not going to, though it's only used ten times in nine verses, uh, I'm not going to look at all of the places that this word is used, but I would like to look uh, at a few. Look at Matthew chapter 19, first of all. Matthew chapter 19. When our Lord here is talking about a young man, what's He talking about? Matthew 19, verse 20. Here's where a young man had gone to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 20 it says, The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Young man. Verse 22, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great 
possessions. Now turn to Mark 14. Mark chapter 14. This is when all of the apostles and others uh, left the Lord. And then in verse 51, And there followed him a certain young man. This is believed to be John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. There followed him a certain young man. There it is. Having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young men laid hold upon him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them. So you see the word used twice there uh, as young man and young men. And then I thought this a rather unique usage of the word in Mark chapter 16, verse 5. This is when the women had gone into the sepulcher. In verse 5, In entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in the long white garment, and they were affrighted. In other words, this angel was depicted as a young man. A young man. So here you get the idea of uh, one under 40 and a youth in his strength and vigor. But notice what it says in John, 1 John, what these young men have accomplished. What is a young man in Christ? They have, first of all, they have overcome the wicked one. This word for wicked one is paneros. Our word pornography comes from it. It's a word that is associated with the devil. There's two Greek words that have the idea of wickedness. One is kakos, which is evil in the abstract, but this one, paneros, is evil in an active opposition to good. The kakos man is content to perish in his own corruption. But the paneros man seeks to drag everyone else down with him into his ultimate downfall. This is what Satan tries to do. Drag everyone down with him. And you see a lot of evil people out there, they're not only content to do evil, they want to drag everybody down into their, the depth of their own depravity. And while it says that they have overcome the wicked one, while this may include the world, it is more than the world. It is overcoming the wicked one, that is, the devil himself. A young man in Christ is an individual that 
is victorious in his Christian walk. Often people will hold that younger Christians to a, they say, well, we, we kind of have to hold them to a lower standard than of holiness uh, because they're young and they're energetic and vigorous and, and they've got to sow their wild oats and, you know, that's just, that's just part of being a young person. That may be part of being a, a worldly individual, but it's not that of a Christian. Here the young man or the young woman, those under 40, if you please, those in the strength of their youth overcome the wicked one. They are overcomers. They persevere in faith. True Christians, even younger Christians, are overcomers. And we want to stress that. We don't want to give we don't want to give way to the idea that, well, they're young and, and we have to excuse them and, and, and so on and so forth. The idea today is well, I'm young and I'm struggling and, and the church ought to help me and help me to overcome. And, and well, the, the congregation should be there for any of its members and be there and willing to help. That's true. But the Scriptures make, maintain that if you're truly a Christian, you are an overcomer yourself. It's not the congregation's fault that you dove headlong into sin. And because you refuse to get out of sin, it's not the congregation's fault if they have to remove you from the membership list. But today, if one is, is disciplined for any reason, well, it's the congregation's fault because they weren't willing to help me and they weren't willing to keep straighten me out and they weren't willing to do this, that, or the other. That can be the truth, but it's not normally the truth. Notice what it said here. I've written unto you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. You have overcome. Not that you ought to overcome. Obviously we ought to overcome. Whether young, old, or indifferent. But they do overcome. They overcome the wicked one. Now, lest we leave you in a quandary. I thought Arthur Peake made some very interesting and insightful observation here. Let me read what he said. Quote, The apostle did not say the young men had overcome the flesh. 
Let that sink in. It's one thing to overcome the world, the wicked one, Satan. It's another thing to overcome the flesh. You remember what James said about the tongue? No man can tame the tongue. Several years ago, there was a man by the name of Bill Gothard had his seminars and went all across the nation and I think into some other nations teaching his things. And one of the things he had was tongue tamers, things that you could do to tame the tongue. Well, there may have been some things to do and some of those things may have been good in order to try to fight against the wickedness of the tongue. But James, by inspiration, plainly said, no man can tame the tongue. It cannot be tamed. It's an unruly evil. Say, well, if that's the case, I'm not responsible for my sins. Yes, you are. You're responsible for every vile thing you say with your tongue. You remember Peter on the day of Pentecost? He said, Ye by wicked hands have crucified and slain the Lord Jesus Christ. And what they had done was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Well, they couldn't say, well, because it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, they were without excuse because Peter said, You did it by wicked hands. You say, well, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? I don't. That's God's business. I just preach both of them. But I thought Pink had a good, uh, in, a good insight here that he, uh, the, the apostle did not say that the young men had overcome the flesh. Pink went on to say this. It is a most significant fact and one which needs to be kept in mind that while the epistle speaks of overcoming the wicked one and of overcoming the world, that's First John 5, 4, talks about overcoming the world, it makes no mention of believers overcoming their evil nature. They are indeed bidden to mortify their corruptions, Colossians 3.5, and in varying measures all the regenerate do so. For the grace of God effectually teaches its recipients to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, Titus 2.12. But nowhere does Scripture affirm that any saint, quote, overcame the flesh. He further stated, that is, Pink further stated, poor Peter failed sadly in the high priest's palace and experienced an awful fall. That's when he denied the Lord. Nevertheless, 
when he went, he nevertheless he went out and wept bitterly. He overcame the wicked one. You remember what uh, the Lord said about to Peter? I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He denied the Lord, but he went out and wept bitterly. He repented. So I thought that was very, uh, very wise of Mr. Pink and something that we need to realize that we're going to live in this sinful flesh as long as we die. There are some sins just by nature that it doesn't tempt us as much as others. But we're still going to have to, be, have to put up with sin as long as we live in this body. <clears throat> he went on to say, that is, John did in this epistle, in verse 14, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And the word of God abide in you. And ye have overcome the wicked one. We've already talked about the overcoming. But now we want to talk about being strong. And abiding in the word. This word strong is a very, very interesting word. It's used 27 times. It means boisterous, mighty, powerful, strong, valiant. And I've toyed with the idea of looking at every one of the places back and forth. But I do want to look at some of them. This word for strong, I may not get to it, but it's even used to designate a strong angel or a mighty angel in Revelation. This is this young man. He's strong. He's strong. You know how young men like to flex their muscles? Want to see how much they can do? I remember as a boy, out working with some other boys, and we would always see how much we could outdo the other one. I'm thinking more in particularly in, in hauling hay. Much of us would get together and haul hay all day long. Guess how much we got paid? A penny a bale. In other words, if the farmer had 10,000 uh, bales of hay to put up, We got a penny for each 10,000. 
If we had a hundred bales to put up, got a dollar working in that hay. Later on, I thought I was going to get rich, so I got to use my dad's flatbed truck and uh, hired a couple other uh, young men to go in business with me, and, and uh, I was going to make some money. And so, since I had the truck and everything, I would charge the the, the farmer ten cents a bale, and then I'd pay my hands a, a, a penny a bale. And and I thought I'd make a lot of money. I come to find out I would make more money by just hiring myself out as a penny a bale. <laughs> And, uh, but I remember at that time I could take a 50-pound bale of hay and throw it two bales higher than my head onto a wagon or a truck. We tried to, to do that. So uh, young men were strong. Let's look at a few places where this word strong is used. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier. There it is. Mightier than I. Talking about Jesus Christ is stronger or mightier than John the Baptist. Matthew 12, verse 29. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house? and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his goods. Chapter 14, verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, strong, he was afraid and began to sink and cried, saying, Lord, save me. And in one of the places it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ being strong. I won't, I won't read any more. We'll just leave it at that. But there you can see that this young man, this young man in his strength, in the prime of his life, and we might say spiritually, in the prime of his life. I can honestly say that in my Christian growth, there was a, a great deal of difference when I first began studying the Word and coming to the Lord after a few years, I had a stamina of studying that it was, it was not uncommon that I would 
spend up to 20 hours sometimes studying. In my aged years that I am now, I can't do that anymore. My mind won't hold out for that length of time. So I can understand this different age bracket, if, if you will, in a physical way. And I can understand this age bracket to some degree in a, in a spiritual way. You remember in the Old Testament, after a priest reached the age of 50, uh, he virtually retired from serving in the priesthood. He still did some things around the temple area and so on. Now, I'm not saying that uh, y'all need to put me out to pasture, <laughs> but uh, in a word, God recognized that this man, after he got to be a certain age, could not take the stamina of killing those animals, doing the sacrifices, going through the rituals, and keeping up with everything uh, that one in their youth could do. One of the hardest things for me to do uh, as I get older is to have to say, well, I just got to sit down. I can't do that. Y'all will have to do it. Speaking on a physical nature, uh, there for many years, uh, was in a larger congregation. There were more people that were buying and selling homes and moving and and so on, and it was nothing uncommon for me to be the one inside the truck stacking everything and uh, putting everything in its place and, and, and so on and so forth. Well, a few years ago, I had to say, I can't do that anymore. I couldn't stay in there and, st and take the heat. I couldn't lift everything like I used to could lift it. I didn't have the coordination that I used to have and, and all of that. But here we have some young men, young men in the kingdom. If there are some young men out there listening to me, you're under 40, and you may be even in your teenage years, I beg you, do not sit back and wait for the older men to do. Get in there and do and help and be a strength to the congregation of God. Do what you can do. And if you can't do it, learn how to do it. Be productive in the kingdom of God. And overcome the wicked one. You are to be an overcomer. You're not to sow your wild oats. You're to be studying the Scriptures. And notice what it says also about these young men. The Word of God abideth in you. That means young men are to study the Word of God. It 
It dwells, it lives in them. This is not the picture of a, of a boy that may be given a Bible for one of his birthdays and he brings it to church and he lays it beside him on the pew and he picks it up and takes it home and sets it down on the desk and then picks it up to go to the house of God again and never opens and reads it. No, he abides. He lives in the Word of God. When I was young and first joined the congregation of the Lord, the preacher would have me to get a verse of Scripture and read it before the congregation, before he preached. Well, you know, in our denomination, sometimes people that do that, they think, well, maybe he's called to preach. Well, I didn't know the Bible. I didn't own a Bible. And when I realized that the minister might call on me, I would get our family Bible down before we went to worship service and find a verse of Scripture somewhere so I could open the Bible there at the meeting house and find it with relative ease and read that verse of Scripture. Didn't know what it meant sometimes. I didn't have to say what it meant. But because I did that, some people thought that was... Well, maybe he's called to preach. Well, if I was, I didn't know about it at that time. But my point that I'm trying to make, because a young man shows a little interest, or maybe he's forced into showing some interest, doesn't mean he's called to preach. But just to see somebody take some active part most people would say, boy, that, that, that young man, he, 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 he's got something spiritually. Well, I didn't have anything spiritually then. And the only time I, uh, when I did think that maybe God might have called me to preach, and the congregation asked me to speak on uh, various occasions, that's when I first bought a Bible. I didn't own a Bible until then. But because a young man shows some interest doesn't mean that he's called to preach. Every young Christian ought to be interested. Every young Christian ought to be interested in abiding and living in the Word of God. In fact, John wrote to the young men because the Word of God did abide in them. He didn't say that it ought to. He didn't say, I encourage you to. He said, it is abiding in you. 
This is the image of one who orders his whole life according to the Word of God. He is set apart from the world and he stands out from the world as one who is separated from the evils of the society around him. Like I said, this is a far cry from what is generally seen in young professing Christians in our day. Most of them look like, act like, dress like, and live like the world at large. And they are addicted to the fads and the entertainments of the day. That's what I see in young professing Christians. I see it all the time. See it all the time. And most of it I see on Facebook. But not only, not only of the of the children, parents as well. Parents as well. Well, <clears throat> next we'll take up the fathers. But uh We'll take that up in our next message because we don't need to get, try to get started in that at this time. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that You would send revival among us. We do live in a, in a very, very degenerate age in many ways. Yes, we're still sinners. We still have to battle the flesh. But young men, you have told us they overcome the wicked one. They're strong. They abide in the Word. And the Word abides in them. Oh God, Send revival among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.